Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We are going to continue on in this sermon uh, study, this, uh, this uh, new study that we started called Life. And again, as I shared last week as we introduced it, just a study of Joseph, his lineage, his life, and also his legacy. And we started at a, a, a pretty interesting spot. But before we kind of recap what we did look at, uh, remember there's a, an acrostic that kind of gives us some elements to what life is all about. Now this is not all-encompassing, so when we look at this, when I say these things, it doesn't mean that, well, life is a lot more than that. Of course, life is a lot more than this. But here are some main things that life is encompassed with. And the first thing is love. Uh, our life, we have all kinds of loves from the time that we're a baby uh, to the time that we uh, say goodbye to this world. There's loves that we have and love that we experience, but there's also loss. Uh, we experience loss in several different ways in several different areas and and so uh, life is composed of love and loss. Life is also, in the letter I, uh, composed of inspiration and imposition, I believe. Uh, there's, t- there's things that keep us inspired. There's things that kind of lift us out of gloom and doom sometimes. We're inspired by those things. So life is full of inspiration throughout different areas and times of our life, but also impositions. There's things that come along, whether it be with our health, whether it be in our family, whether it be with our job and circumstances that just seem to impose upon our life. So life is full of that stuff. It's full of inspiration and position. And in the letter F, we know that life also is consisting of family, consists of friends. Um, again, lots of things. And, and probably the most important thing, it consists of faith. We put our faith, hopefully, in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the only one who we can put our faith in for salvation. But we also learn about faith along the way. So faith is, our life is composed about faith um, from the first time that our parents says, look, we're taking the floaties off and you're going to swim, you know. Uh, we say, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to swim. And then we sink. And then, um, but faith is, again, in different areas of our life. And then the letter E, uh, of course, we know our life is consisting of different events. Uh, we can look back and say, this happened at this time. Uh, again, we, we have those sometimes in a calendar, sometimes uh, in, in our minds, we just know that we had events, and sometimes those events are coupled with experiences, uh, but sometimes not. Sometimes we experience something, and we don't even know what the date was, what the event was. We just had an experience, but our life is consisting of all those things. And of course, the most important thing about life is eternity. Every person's got to face this, this idea, this reality of eternity, because uh, when we finish this world, uh, there is an eternity, and it's existing right now, uh, but just the experience we have in this temporal world kind of blinds us, mars us from that reality. I was having a conversation with someone Thursday evening, Rochelle and I were, and um, I asked him, I said, you know, if, if you were to die this evening, hopefully not, but if something were to happen and you were to die, you know, were you going to spend eternity, or you know, you know what's going to happen to you after you die? That's what I asked him. He said, well, uh, they're going to put me in, a ground, uh, in the ground, and I, I'm just going to be in the ground. And uh, I said, you know, I, I understand a lot of people have that, that perspective, but the Bible teaches that there is an eternity. And it's not just about what we do and how we live in this life, and then it's over, we're in the ground, and, and it's done. There is an eternity beyond that. And so, again, it's something in this life and with the idea of life that we have to deal with, and that is this reality of eternity. 
But again, in starting this study, we looked at Joseph, looked at specifically his lineage, where he came from, and uh, prayed uh, to the Lord, you know, what, where to start, how to start, when we could have gone all the way back to Abraham, could have gone before Abraham. Could have looked at the entire lineage of, of, of Joseph in this, but I just feel like that uh, God prompted me to start where we started because we learned some things about uh, Joseph's family. Because to truly know somebody, you got to kind of know where they come from, right? That's what we do. I shared that last week. Uh, I was speaking at a, a fellowship meeting this week, and I said that's exactly uh, I said the same thing. That's what that's what happens uh, when we talk to someone. We get to know them. Where, where, where are you from? Where did you go to school? What did um, you know? Did you play sports? Did you were you in band? Were you this? Were you that? We would find out what they were into and where they came from, and, and we learn about them to get to know the person. And so that's why we started where we did. Well, I think one of the greatest places for us in our messed up culture today, because I believe as blessed as we are, we got a messed up world that we're living in. We started where it just is really, really messed up uh, in Joseph's life. Well, Joseph isn't even alive right now, but we went back and looked at his, again, his lineage and saw where his dad and his grandma conspired um, to deceive his, his um, uh, I'm sorry, his, his, yeah, his dad and his grandma to deceive his, his grandpa from the blessing. And so, uh, again, we learned some things. That Joseph's family, his dad, his grandma, they were messed up. That's the truth. I mean, we think about Jacob and Israel, and, and immediately a lot of the thoughts go to God's chosen people, God's blessing, God, you know, God's will, God's, you know, his way, his, his choosing, all those things. And yet the reality is this, it, it was messed up. Somebody said it was jacked up. It was jacked up. You know, our, our, our families, our, our lives, and that's what we learn. Our, our families are messed up. They can be messed up. So my family is not messed up. Go back far enough. It probably is, you know. And if no, nothing, in your, no, nothing or no one in your family is messed up, guess who might be messed up? <laughs> Well, he said, I, nothing wrong with my family. But um, let's just be honest. You know, we're, we have messed up families. But point number two is this. Even though that's the case, and even though this was the history of Joseph and, and kind of what his dad, you know, how, do you, how do you boast on your dad? My dad lied to steal God, the blessing away. You know, I mean, that's not something to boast about. Um, but the, the truth is this, that our past doesn't dictate our future. So just because this was in Joseph's past or, or what his family heritage was or anything like that um, it didn't necessarily determine who Joseph was and the decisions he would make now it would influence of course all of our past our the frame of reference that we have influences who we are and, and, and the decisions we make but it doesn't have to dictate our future and then the third thing we saw is this our story is a part of God's story because you have breath because you have life because you're even here today it reveals that God is writing a story that has your life a part of it. And so we have to realize that our story has a bigger purpose in life. Our story has a bigger picture. You know, sometimes we, we, we make our lives so small and mean, meaningless. We do. We make our lives small and meaningless by, by making it all about the stuff we have or the, the things we do for this world. And man, we so minimize this grand eternal picture that God has painted that we're a part of. Our story is a part of God's story, you know? Um, and so again, sometimes we, we miss the boat and all that. But um, I, like I said, I went to this fellowship meeting this past week and uh, one of the breakout sessions, the, one of the speakers was a family minister and he was talking about some things um, about our culture. 
And this is something he said. He said, our culture is now saturated with a couple of generations of kids who have been so busy in a world that the family's entire life schedule revolves around the kids. A couple of generations now where the family unit is dictated by the kids' activities, the kids' schedules. And that's a little backward. No, that's a lot backwards. That's a lot backwards where the kids are having to say or the, the activity directors or the coaches or the, or the whatever, they, the organizations, they have the say over the family unit and what the family unit does or doesn't do. So what we have is a generation, a couple generations now of, of, of parents following the kids around. And what it's done is created a, a, a generation and now almost two generations of entitled, selfish in a lacking society in so many ways. A society that's ever focused on doing, and not just doing, but doing more. A, a society and a culture that's not just focused on that, but getting, and not just getting, but getting more. So, so the, 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 these, these generations are coming up and, and they expect these things and, 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 and they live selfishly and they live for themselves and they, they lose sight of something so important and this is what they lose sight of, of being someone. The, the focus is on, on, on having things and doing things, and they forget about being who God has called them to be. Now, I want to say this, not, not being someone of importance in the world, because that's everywhere. You know, be someone in this world, you hear that everywhere. But being someone integrally, morally, and as we know, the most important thing spiritually, which is tied to the others. Really making a difference where they are. The culture is lacking because I believe parents have now for a couple generations made a priority of what their kids do and what their kids have. And when we do that, we really, really hurt our kids. And that, that generation, the next generation to come. And we may not see the, the, the effects in the here and now. Everything may be happy, everything may be awesome, but it'll come. As parents and grandparents, as Christian parents and grandparents, we should make a very high priority of who our kids and grandkids are. Because that's what will last. Who they are. Not just what they do, not just what they have, but who they are. See, what our kids and grandkids do, they'll do for a season. They'll do something for a season. Right? We have people in here that are retired. And for a season in your life, you did something. You did insurance or construction or, or whatever. You did something, and that, that's, that's what you did for a season, but you're retired now, and that's not what you do anymore. But our kids and grandkids like us will be someone for a lifetime. We'll be the person we are for a lifetime. And that doesn't mean that we don't change and grow and, and, and develop all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that. But what's more wise to invest in Something that's for a season or something for a lifetime? Of course, something that's for, that lasts a lifetime. But from the fleshly perspective, the world and, and, and the world has influenced the church so much so that the church even has adopted. Many, many parents, in, in, even in the church, have adopted this. Well, go for the gusto while you can. You're only young once. You only live once from a fleshly perspective. But what about after that, or even during that? 
who they are is so much more important than what they do and what they have. The speaker in that session um, I was talking about also shared some statistics. And I'm going to just share this because it was what he shared. Um, but it's interesting that he shared this uh, because it's one of the greatest battles that the church has been facing. You know, I've been a minister almost two decades now and, and have seen this almost the entire time that, that I've been in ministry. Um, and I realize the church has battled certain things and different things in different ways, but never has it been like it is today. And that's the arena of sports. And some people, I mean, you may have to go to the bathroom right now, but that's, you can do that. But I would encourage you to stay. Um, you're here on a Sunday morning. Uh, but here is uh, some statistics that uh, are very interesting. Um, so pr the percentage of college athletes who make it to the professional leagues, okay? College athletes who make it to the to professional leagues. In baseball, there are 34,900, almost 35,000 athletes in college baseball. There are 7,773 that are eligible for the draft. And out of that, there are 1,215 1, draft picks in baseball. Out of those 1,200 that are picked, there are 735 that are drafted from the NCAA. That is 9.5% of those college athletes, college, go pro. That's not even 10%. It's close to 10%, but it's not 10%. Men's basketball, there's 18,712 athletes. There's 4,000 of those that are draft eligible. There are 60 draft picks in the NBA draft. 50 of the draft picks, this is on average, come from the NCAA. So there's only 10 that aren't. And they say that the other 10, most of them come from foreign countries and stuff like that. That is 1.2% of college athletes, NCAA athletes, 1.2% that actually end up going pro. Women's basketball, because it's, you know, it's a professional sport, it has been for a while, 16,500 athletes, 3,600 3, over draft eligible, 36 draft picks in the WNBA, and out of the 36 draft picks in the, in, in the women's uh, professional league, 34 of them, all but two, come from the NCAA. That means there are this less than 1% of the NCAA athletes in women's basketball that actually go pro. Less than 1%, 0.9%. Football, there's a lot of football athletes out there. There's 11 men on, the, on offense, 11 men on defense, so there's a lot of athletes. 73,000 play college football. I'm not going to give you all the other numbers, but just know this. 1.6% of all of those athletes end up going pro. Now, you know what the average length of the professional career uh, for these athletes are in, in the major four sports, get this. In the NFL, the average career length is 3.5 years. Average. You know, so when we see like the Tom Brady's and the Emmett Smith's and, and these people that play for 15 and 20, uh, the Jason Witten's, you know, we look at Jason Witten and we think, man, that guy has been playing forever. What was it, 15 seasons he's been playing? 15 seasons. That's a long career. The average is three and a half years in the NFL. The NBA is 4.8 years, almost five years. Major League Baseball, 5.6 years. And the NHL, 5.5 years. So you think about this. I mean, think about, just wrap your mind around it. He was sharing just a few of the statistics. I went and dug and got some more statistics. But 
Um, just think about this. As, as we are raising our kids in, in, in little leagues and, 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 and YMCA and, and, and all, this, all, all good activities and stuff like that, but as we begin to allow these, these activities and sports to direct our lives and dictate our lives and, and what our kids are and, and even compromising the things of God and all this stuff along the way, we're telling our kids, you've got to do these things. You've got to accomplish these things in this world. You've got to have this stuff. And, and so much that, again, focusing on these, these sports. And, again, it could be anything. It could be band. It could be academics. It could be all this stuff. But so much is put on this stuff for what? Three and a half years of their life? If they make it with that per small percentage of a percent. And I know my kids are going pro too. That's just, I mean, right? That's what we think. Oh, my kids are different. Is it going, they're going pro. Okay. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, they're, I know we got talented kids in here. Uh, but it's the mindset of it's about doing these things and, and, and having this stuff in this world. And, and again, this has been going on. I think we're robbing generation after generation of the most important things in life. I'm sharing that again because I think we've got to have a spiritual reality check at some point along the way. Before it's out of control. And maybe it's already out of control. Uh, and, and, and some part of me, I believe that it's, it's out of control. But I mean, at some point too, people have got to start making decisions. We're just going to stop doing this. We're going to start putting the, stop putting the emphasis on this and start putting the emphasis on things we should have been a long time ago. We're the children of God. We're the children of Almighty God. We're not the children of this world. We're not the children of a corporation. We're not the children of a company. We're, not the, not the, we're the children of the Creator God. The percentage of high school graduates who end up playing professional sports, we see high school, who end up making it to professional sports is extremely low. But please listen. The percentage of young people who get saved when they're five years old, who end up graduating high school as a Christian, who end up saying their last goodbye to this world as a Christian is 100%. Think about that. If they get saved when they're seven, they're going to graduate high school as a saved child of God. When they graduate from this life and they move on to eternity, they will graduate this life as a saved child of God. Then what's the most important thing to invest in? Something that's going to be this long and, and, and not that important at all? Or something that's eternal? And will stay with them for all of eternity. And they're only going to do something for a season. Are we investing in our kids spiritually? Are we making who they are a priority? Again, that's not going to go away with an accident. It's not going to go away with an injury. It won't be ended by a layoff. Well, my kid is, a, is this and that, and they're a partner, and they're, they're, they're this, and they have all these things in this world, and well, what if the, the company closes its doors or shuts down or they are laid off? It's temporal. Listen, it's good to teach our kids to have goals and ambitions. And no doubt, we try to teach our kids the same thing. We should teach all of our kids to do everything as unto the Lord. Do it heartily. They should, they should give their all, strive for excellence as they're doing it for the Lord. But never setting the Lord and his church and his kingdom aside in pursuit of the things of this world. Never. And that's where we're, that's where we're hurting this next generation because we've done that. To Esau, in our story, in, in, in our study, he, he and his family would never be the same again. 
The course of their family would forever be changed. Jacob would reap consequences, and so would his family, so would the nation of Israel, even to this day. Why? Guess what? The mom really made some wrong decisions here that hurt both of her kids. That's the reality. Now, you say, well, they were, they were men, they made choices. Absolutely, Jacob did it. But, but we look at this, and the mom was having a spiritual influence that was negative in teaching her kids. There's something more important than pleasing God. Maybe in the moment we would ask Rebecca, why'd you do this? Maybe she would have said, well, I was just wanting what was best for my son. I just wanted him to have the good life. I was closer to him. Esau, you know, Isaac was closer to, 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 to Esau, and they had their thing. And, you know, he was, a, he was a manly man. He could hunt, and he could take care of his stuff, and he knew what to do. I mean, he, he was going to be okay, but I had to take care of Jacob, and, and he had to make sure and, and, and do this. And in and, and all of this, again, she really hurt both of her kids. What was she te- teaching Jacob, by the way? Do whatever it takes to get what you want, regardless of the cost. Setting her kid up in fleshly pursuit for disaster. See, the parent here, the parent is the one that set the course for bad decision and self-induced consequences, negative consequences. It was the parent. Now, the grace would come, absolutely. The blessings would come. God would show his grace to to Jacob and, and all those things. But know this, the consequences would remain even through this day today. Kids are going to do what kids are allowed to do. That's the truth. And so we can't. Yes, you can. You're the parent. Well, they, well, they, they told us if this, you're the parent. You have been given the responsibility to raise your kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, not in the ways of this world. That's the charge. And so you are the parent. This remains, uh, again, Rebecca could have, done some things, should have done some things, and parents today should, should teach the next generation a few things. And I want to look at these real quick, some scriptures, and then we'll be done. But before that, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for this opportunity, again, to be reminded of the importance of your kingdom, of the importance of who you are, and, and the importance of, of what you've given to us, not just as parents, but as grandparents and great-grandparents. Not only that, but even as, as your church, your people in this world. Help us to have the spiritual guts. Help us to have the spiritual faith to stand up and to be your people, regardless of what the world says. Lord, regardless of what people say we have to do or we can't do, help us by faith live in a way that pleases you. God, help us be concerned about that and that alone. I pray that you would just move in the rest of this service, God. Use me again to to, to speak your word and to accomplish your will. And I pray you'd move our hearts closer to yours through all of this. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Point number one is this. Never lose sight of God's glory in all our decisions. We, Rebecca should have had that as the principle as she was making this mistake with Jacob. And that's what we need to keep in our mind. We need to make sure that we are making this clear to our kids today. Never lose sight of God's glory in all our decisions. Listen, when Avery and Addison, continue, as, as they can continue to grow and, and they start making decisions for their future on maybe what they want to do for college or career or, or, or who they're going to marry or, or, or whatever the case may be, this is what I want in their mind. I want them to have God's glory as the aim and the focus of all of their decisions. I don't want them to say, well, what, what, what do you want me to do, Daddy? No, listen, listen. I want to give you godly counsel. I want you to seek God's face, and I want you to do what is pleasing to God. I want you to make decisions that glorify Him. Well, all my friends, I don't care what your friends are doing. 
I want you to make decisions based on what glorifies God. Period. Because that's where you'll be safe. That's where you'll be blessed. And that's where you'll want to be later on in life. You, you, you won't want to look back and say, man, I wasted 20 or 30 years of my life because I made decisions that pleased me. We need to teach our kids and our grandkids, grandparents. Where are you at, grandparents? You're not done. You're not done. Look, you don't have to raise us anymore. And some of you are helping raise grandkids. I understand that. But you have an influence, and it's supposed to be a godly influence, leaving a godly legacy for those grandkids. So that your grandkids can look to you and say, look, it's been in my history as long as I can remember. Never lose sight of God's glory in all of our decisions. Let's not teach them. And let's not just not teach them. Let's not practice our own selves, grandparents and parents. Let's not make, make it a practice to, to, to make decisions that please ourselves and then bank on abusing the grace of God later on in hopes that God will bless us like he did Jacob. Well, look, Jacob really messed it up, made some boneheaded decisions, did things to please himself. But look, God still used him and chose him and, chose him and, and, and used him and, and did all these things. Let's not bank on abusing the grace of God. Let's... Let's make sure that we just don't lose sight of what glorifies him. Let's make decisions based off of that. Colossians 3, 1, if you then be risen, if you're risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And he says this, set your affection, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. For you're dead. In your life, it's actually hid with Christ and God. Skip down to verse 13, I mean, verse 17, that's what we said. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. In verse 23, a few verses down, it says this, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord, not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the inheritance, the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Do you, hear, you see that word, those words right there? You serve the Lord Christ. Keep in perspective who your master is. Keep in perspective who your Lord is. Keep it in your mind at all times and as you're working in your jobs and as you're raising your kids and as you're living your lives, do things as unto the Lord. Make decisions with his glory in mind. Some, somewhere along the way, we as parents, even as leaders in the church, as Christians in the culture, we have to demonstrate somewhere along the way that God's kingdom is the priority. Somewhere, at some point, we've got to say, okay, look, we haven't been doing it, we're doing it today. God's kingdom is a priority. N not, not the kingdom of my job, not the kingdom of this world, not the kingdom of the athletics, not the kingdom of activities, not the kingdom of entertainment, not even the kingdom of myself. Th and that's the problem, I think, a lot of times. We, we are the king. We make the decision. And then we say, God, I hope it works for you. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, we've got to make God's kingdom a priority and not just give that lip service. Oh, yeah, God's my Lord. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he's my God. Is that lip service or is that reality for us? It's not just something we say, but it's something we're living. Even today, this day, Sunday, first day of the week. Listen, you guys are here. Praise God. One whole day. Look, there's seven, right? God's given us seven. There's one day, Sunday. 
showing that God, showing that his people, that, that his mission, that his purpose, that, his, that, that, that the church, that what he instituted, what he, he created, one day we show his priority. So much so that we can set everything else aside. We set our job aside. We set, we set activity. Oh, maybe, wait, what's going on? One day out of the seven. See, God is freely. <sighs> I'm breathing. It's oxygen. It's out there. I didn't create it. God gave it to us. And, and it's going inside of these lungs and, and, and it's making all this work. I'm not making it happen. God's doing it. And, and he's gifted us with these days. And, and out of all seven, one day. Can, can you just, can you give one day, one entire day, can you set it aside just for him? Just, just to focus on, uh, on him. Can you, can you set everything else aside? What you want to do, what the world wants you to do. All those things. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about what pleases you. One day, can you just make it about me? The Lord says. Can you, can you just come together and, and, and make me a priority? He's that important. Whether we... And we say, well, yeah, he is. But he's actually that important for us to do that, not just say that. We give the world six of those days. And maybe not six of those days, because maybe on a couple of other days we give ourselves those days. Can we not give the Lord one whole day? We set again the world aside. We set the world outside. We set the busyness, the stress. We leave it all out there. And we come together. Because that's what Jesus taught. That's what he demonstrated. That's the example is he had them together. And we focus on him. We love on him together. And we love on each other as a family. And we encourage each other. We exhort each other. We lift each other up. We don't gripe and complain and tear each other down. We build each other up. Is it too much to give for the God who's given us this thing that we do call life? Is it too much to give him one whole day? Amen. Is, it, is one day too much to set aside for him alone? Now look, I realize this. Some of you, hopefully you're not thinking this, but some of you may be thinking we can over-spiritualize it. Well, it doesn't have to just be Sunday. Every day is God's day. Amen. Do you live like that? Do we live like that? Because we can spiritualize it, but we still don't live like that either. We give it to the world. We give it to ourselves. That's why God, knowing us better than, than we know ourselves and knowing what's better for ourselves than we know what's best for us, said, look, I'm going to make seven of the days, and on the seventh day, I'm going to rest. I'm going to give you an example, and then I want you to rest on that day. And on that day, I don't want you to work and, and be cumbered about all these things. I, I want you to think about me. I want you to talk to me. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to help and serve others. And not yourself. I want you to help and serve others. I want you to, to be a blessing to others. I want it to be all about me and others. But God, I got to, no, 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 no. 
a day that we have right now, today, set aside. Everything else aside, focusing on God, focusing on his blessings, focusing on others, again, in the context of what God set up, not what man set up, what God set up, the church. Oh, we had church uh, our own selves. No, you didn't. Not if it wasn't instituted by the church. Not if it wasn't ordained. That's not God's way. Again, we can over-spiritualize everything and really miss the mark. Because what ends up happening when we do that, all we're doing is over-spiritualizing to suit ourselves, not to please God. That's the reality. It just doesn't work for me. We did this. Well, that, that's not doing it. To, that's not making decisions based on the glory of God. When we make decisions to please ourselves, or we make decisions to please the world, when we make decisions even to please others and not God, when we don't make him and his kingdom a priority, when, when this is what we're doing, we're teaching the next generation the same exact destructive practice spiritually. And what happens with that? Well, we just open the door for the enemy to come in and do exactly what Jesus, what Jesus said he's come to do, to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what's happening. Because we haven't made the kingdom of God, we haven't made it about him. We're so saturated with self. We're so saturated. I, I was listening last night, um, going to bed, we're just kind of winding down, and I'm, I'm listening to Francis Chan give this uh, speech to these, this university at a cha uh, chapel, and uh, I get about halfway through it, and I look at Rochelle, and I say, I just want you to know the notes are already made for tomorrow, because <laughs> she's hearing the message, and I'm like, this is crazy. And, and, he, and he was talking about some of the same things, and, 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 and how we, we have completely made church this building. And we've completely made, it was, well, I haven't made it the building. I think it's the people. Well, but we don't live like that. We've made church more about us than the people. That's the truth. And, and, and he was talking about this. He said uh, he went to China about seven years ago, and, and, and uh, he was sitting down listening just on the edge of his seat. He said, listen to these Chinese talk about, in the underground church, many of them college-aged. And they were telling all these stories about uh, how they were being persecuted and the oppression and how they were having to, to, to meet and pray together and, and, and they, how they, they just completely love the word of God and, and, and they just couldn't wait to, to get back together. And every opportunity they had, they would be together. It was about, it was about them, the church. It was about others. And, and, and they said, tell us what it's like in America, in the church in America. And he said, well, we, we go to these really big buildings and... and and, and, and someone, you know, there's, there's, there's music that's played and someone speaks and, 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 and people just leave. And, and then he said, and, and if the preacher doesn't say something that they like, then they could just go to the church down the street. Or if they don't like what's going on in that church, they just, they just go to another church in the area. Or, or, or if they don't want to be there whenever they gather, they just, they just don't show up. And he said, listen, he said those, those Chinese students began to laugh hysterically. They thought he was joking. They were, they were like, oh, that's crazy, you know. And his daughter was with him, and they walked out. She said, Dad, did you see how they were laughing? He said he, he, had, he had gone to a, um, a, a conference in, in Dallas, somewhere at a church in Dallas, and uh, he had a, an Indian pastor who was from India with him, and, and, and they went to this conference, and um, he, he was the same exact way. He was like, I mean, do, do people only show up when the music's good or their speaker's good? Is that what it's about? 
Man. So you know what happens in those, the underground church, which, by the way, is growing exponentially under the, the great persecution that they're under. You know what they do? They love the Word of God. They love the Lord. They love each other. They want to spend time with each other. They want to fellowship. They want to break bread. They want to remember the sacrifice. He was, he was talking about something that's a very, very great illustration. He said, you know, when Jesus sat down at, at the Last Supper, and he, and he took the bread and he broke the bread and he, and he explained to his disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. And he told them in that, in that, same, that same sitting, he said, a, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so in this, in this, this, this message he was preaching, he said, so you know what the charge is for us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ? That's how we are to live and love our lives for each other. Christ went to the cross for us. There's some people in this room that you look across the room and say, I wouldn't go to a cross for them. But that's the call that we have as the church. And, and, and you know why we, we, we look across the room like that and we say, I don't think I could go to the cross for them. You know why we, we do that? Because we're trying to do it in our own power the power of the flesh. He said, that's why I couldn't do that. That's why he said, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to help you. And he's going to do, you, you're going to do greater things. He, he's, he's going to help you do all these things. And so I don't think I could die for them. We'll quit operating the flesh and start operating the Spirit, and you might get to that place. We all could get to that place if we would walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. We need to live and make choices. Be the example for our kids and grandkids. Again, grandparents, it's still your responsibility. Grandparents, are your grandkids learning and seeing this in you too? Are we demonstrated 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31? Paul was talking about uh, different things offered, and he says, Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. He would say, follow me as I'm following Christ in the first verse of chapter 11. Follow my lead as I'm following Christ and make life all about him. And that's point number two. Pursue what's pleasing to God over what's pleasing to man. Pursue what's pleasing to God over what's pleasing to man. No matter what the cost. Why? Why would, why would we do that? Because it's worth it. Because that's what we show our kids. Because that's what they see, that it's real and it's worth it. And that's what I'm wondering today. Why are so many kids not engaged in the kingdom? Why are so many kids not thinking, why, why do we grow up in culture and we think, man, I want to be like that baseball player. Man, I want to be like that football. Why, why don't we say, man, I want to be like Paul. Woo! I can't, I can't wait to go out there and tell somebody about Jesus. I can't, I can't, why are our kids wired like that? Well, number one, they've got flesh too. But I'm just wondering, where are the examples in the parents and grandparents? Why are we not so pumped up to be a, a part of this unstoppable movement of the church? Why are we not so pumped up to, to, to serve God, to gather together and, and, and to worship Him and, and to encourage each other and to see each other and love on each other and say, man, we're the family of God. We're going to be together forever. Let's go back out there and tell somebody how to know Jesus. Well, why are kids not growing up like this? I'm just wondering, maybe it's because we ourselves, again, are so geared for ourselves. 
We're not, we're not living it, so our kids don't experience and live it, and our grandkids don't, and it just becomes, again, this destructive cycle. God says, look, I've, I've given all power. I, 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 he said that all power is given unto me on heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. I'm commissioning you with all the power, the, the, the power of Almighty God, the Creator God who says, oh, and, the, and the, the stars were, went out, you know? The one that says, look, there's no light. Let there be light. Okay, there's a sun. That's what's going to govern the day and a moon. The moon, that's going to light up the night too. And he just speaks it into existence. The power that, that rose Jesus from the grave, the power that took sinners like you and I who were going to hell for all of eternity if he didn't intervene, gave us eternal life with no merit or worth of our own. This power is inside of us to go out there and live like the people of God in this world, transform it just like an Acts we, we saw last week. We, we said, hey, uh, this is what I shared at the, at the fellowship meeting, is that, hey, in Thessalonica, they, they went into Jason's house and they said, look, 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 give us, give us Paul and all these people. He's not here. Well, you guys are coming out with us. They drag him out here and they go, they go before the, the, the magistrates there in this city and say, look, these people, they're going out there and they're changing everything up and they've come to our city and they're turning the world upside down. And now they're here. That's the power that's still inside of us. Why doesn't it look like that in Fort Worth? Why doesn't it look like that in Saginaw? Well, what are we doing? What are we doing? I'm afraid that we're not pursuing what's pleasing to God over what's pleasing to us. Moses, when he was come to years in Hebrews 11, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Look at what he says, in esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than treasures in Egypt. I'd rather suffer and have nothing living for Christ than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for the season and treasures in this world. Because it says he had Respect unto the recompense of the reward. It says that he wasn't fearing the wrath of the king because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He had his eyes on Jesus Christ. John 16, Jesus told us, in this world you shall have tribulation. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be a fun life. It's not going to be an easy life per se. If you're focused on me, the world's going to hate you like it hated me. It doesn't mean there won't be blessings. It, don't mean, it doesn't mean that you won't have uh, good times and laughs and, and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But you can't live for that stuff. You've got to live for me. And I will carry you through. I, I will give you joy even in the, in the dark times. John chapter 15. He said that the world's going to hate you because they hated me first. John 17. He was praying to the Father. And he says this. They're not of the world even as I'm not of the world. Galatians chapter 6, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so he says this, And let us not be weary. Don't get faint of heart in doing what's right. Why? Because in due season you will reap if we faint not, as we therefore have opportunity, let's do good to all men, especially them of the household of faith. Church. Each person decides what the harvest will be. We can either live for the flesh and live for ourselves, and that's what we'll reap. Or we can do it for the Spirit, and that's what it will be. 
It's about priority. It's, it, it's about what's pleasing. As musicians make their way, we invest in what's truly important to us. Our time, our money. Are we investing into the kingdom of God? Are we investing in the kingdom of self? I shared last week at that meeting, I said, look, I think every day we've got to ask ourselves, am I truly living for the king or am I living for Kyle? Every day I've got to ask myself, am I truly living for the king or am I living for Kyle? Let's just be honest. Each person has to answer that, or ask that question and answer it. What are we teaching our kids? We're going to face enough difficult trials without adding them by fleshly decisions. We can look at Job, we can look at Jesus, we can look at Paul, we can look at all the examples in Scripture that this was the case. You can live right, you can serve God, you can try to please God, and still things can be really, really bad and ugly. We weren't promised the easy life, we were promised the abundant life. The abundant life doesn't say anything about easy. So how do you do it? It's about focus. It's about the source and the focus in our life. What, is, what are you focused on and where do you draw from? What is your source? I want to encourage you this morning. If you're drawing from your flesh, or you're drawing from this world, temporal things, it's going to fail. If you're drawing only from the world, it's not going to remain. But if you find your focus and your well that you draw, your source is Jesus Christ, it will never fail. And it will never run dry. It will always sustain you. Let's make sure that we're living and teaching the next generation these things. Never lose sight of God's glory in all our decisions. Hey, I think I'm going to do this. Does that really glorify God? Well, I've decided to do this. Well, did you do it in, 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 in the purpose of your heart and the aim was to glorify God? And let's make sure that we're living and teaching to pursue what's pleasing to him over what's pleasing to man. Well, I really would like to, but is that pleasing you? And it doesn't mean that God, God doesn't want you to do that, but what's your aim? Are you really wanting to please him? Or is it really about pleasing yourself? Let's make sure this is our life. I was passionate about this and that my, my heart is still stirred and ached and, and burdened. I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing the church that has all the power from on high continue to hit itself in the leg. To, to continue to keep ourselves back. God's like, I've given you everything. Uh, and I've given you freedom, and I've given you resources, and I've given you everything, and still, you make all of it about yourself. You could change the world with everything I've given you. But you won't start living for me. You won't give it all for me. And I'm talking to us, me included. It's, it's, at some point, we've got to make a choice. I hope that is today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this message and the challenge that it's given to me. Thank you for the challenge you've given to our church through this. I pray that we would just humble ourselves, God, that we would yield ourselves to you. That we'd stop being so focused on ourselves, so focused on what we want. Like we're the kings, like we're the, we're the ones that, Lord, you are the king. 
You, you, you are in your kingdom is what it's all about. This world's going to end pretty short, pretty shortly. But help us be wise enough and humble enough to realize that and live like that before it's over. You've given us life, God. I pray that we'd redeem it and use it up for your glory. I pray you move now in Jesus' name.